Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to the book of Second Chronicles, and I want to read some passages in the 14th chapter. Uh, I would title this sermon, The Rising of Zerah, The Rising of Zerah, Z-E-R-A-H. And hopefully the Lord will bless us this morning as we uh, read some of this passage. Second Chronicles, the 14th chapter. It says, So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his stead. In the days the land was quiet ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places, and brake down the images, and cut down the groves. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to do the law and the commandment. And he also, took out, he also took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities, and make about them walls, and towers, and gates, and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, We have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of men that bear targets and spears out of Judah, 300,000, and out of Benjamin that bear shields and drew bows, 200 and fourscore thousand. All these were mighty men of valor. So I want to start there this morning and look at a few things. And one of the first things that uh, really caught my attention as I read through this is how many times in eight verses there, from verse 1 to verse 8, how many times the Scriptures tell us that the land had rest, that there was no war. Uh, I think it's probably four to five times in eight verses that he gives us some indication that there was no war, uh, it was, there was peace, it was quiet, the land had rest. I thought that was very interesting considering... Once we go into verse 6, we read about what this king, whose name is Asa, what he begins to do as he's uh, living during these times of peace. And this is what it says. Uh, He built fenced cities. Uh, It says that he said, let's make us walls and towers and gates and bars. He says that he prepared an army of 300,000 men out of Judah and 204 score men out of 200,000 and four score men out of the tribe of Benjamin. So I thought that was very interesting because here you have a man, a king, who is living in a great time of peace, which if you, if you have read much about uh, the kingdom of Israel, it is a roller coaster ride of uh, you know, circumstances where there are times that they have times of peace. There are times that they're under the foot of their enemies. I mean, it's just one. It's up and down, up and down, up and down. So Asa here, during this time of peace, he is doing some tremendous things for the land of of Judah here in that he's building these fenced cities and all this type of of thing. And so the lesson that, that I took from that, and I've heard some older brothers say before, that you do not need to wait until the time of war to prepare for war. You don't need, uh, while, while you have peace, you've got to have enough wisdom and discernment to know now is the time that I've got to prepare 
for some uprising somewhere in, in the world or in my life or in my relationships, I've got to plan for that right now. And when it comes, which it will come, it is going to come. What does the Lord say in this world? You shall have tribulation. There is going to be an uprising of the powers of darkness in some way, shape, or form and to, to mount an attack against the children of God. And if you say, look, I've, I'm living fine and I, I don't have any attacks against the, you know, Satan, you are probably in his clutches already. He probably has you. If you say, I'm not under any attack by Satan, he's got you. So... One lesson that we need to learn from Asa here is while you are in times of peace, whether it's your marriage, your home, your relationships, or most certainly your church, I would definitely say that, um, that Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church, we are in a great season of peace. Are we not? It has not always been that way from what people tell me the, in the past at different churches that here, we've not always been in times of peace, but we are now, and now is when we need to start preparing Amen. for battle. Now, I want to look at a few things here that maybe we can apply to our lives that Asa did during his time of peace that we can learn a little bit from. One of the things that it says here is that Asa, he tells them, let us build these cities. And he says, let us make about them walls, because when an army comes in uh, to to fight against these cities, you know, it is a it's a great hindrance to an attacking enemy to not be able to get into your city. To have a huge wall there, that's what Jericho, that's why they thought they were probably invincible because there's no way anybody could ever get past these walls. And they probably couldn't have or really have, have, would have struggled to had the Lord not have gone and fought for them and tore those walls down. But one of the things that he did was he built walls. So the question to me is, if we are in a time of peace, if you, again... Name the, name the situation, your marriage, your church, your home, your friendships, whatever it may be. If you are in a time of peace, one of the things that we need to do is be building some walls. Now, for the sake of time, there's no way I can get through all of this. So I'm just going to give you the short, sweet version of it. One of the best ways as I pondered on this is how in the world can I build walls to keep the enemy out? And one of these days, if, if, I, can, if I can muster up the courage... I'm going to preach a sermon uh, about the main way the enemy comes into our lives. And right now, it's through television. That's what I would say. I'm going to preach a sermon on television. And you're probably all going to hate me when it's over. But, and, and Brother Tim alluded to that a couple sermons ago. That one of the fastest, easiest ways that the enemy gets into our lives is through the television. Uh, I've told you before that we do not have um, we do not have any kind of paid subscriptions for television, cable or satellite or anything like that. We watch television, but it's usually DVDs or something like that where we can control. And every once in a while, we will uh, go stay in a hotel and we'll turn the TV on and flip through uh, the through the to find something to watch there. And my goodness, just the commercials! The commercials are horrendous. And, you know, some people will say this, and, and, and I understand where it's coming from, unless they eat the chicken, throw away the bone. But you do that enough, you still have a huge pile of bones that you got to deal with. You understand? We cut that TV on, and whether our intentions are good or not, we are letting the enemy come straight into our house and influence us. And I heard a radio a person say the other day, he said, you know, these people that say that they're not affected by what they watch, 
need to remember that people pay $7 million for a 30-second spot, a 30-second commercial during the Super Bowl. Why would somebody pay $7 million for 30 seconds of a commercial? Is because they know it influences us. They're willing to put all that money out there because they say, yeah, it will get in their head and it will influence them. The, the desire for America, the hunger that America has to be entertained is shocking. We will walk through the trash of this world simply for the sake of being entertained. Listen, folks, there's a lot more other ways we can entertain ourselves Amen. than just to sit there and watch the television and let the enemy come right through there. Why is that important? Because when we see it over and over and over, whether you agree with it or, or not, it will callous you to it. It will. You are not strong enough or spiritual enough, neither am I, to not let that desensitize us. When you get more and more desensitized to it, you'll allow more and more of it to come in and the enemy has marched right into your home and you have not put up any walls. One of the best things we can do as children of God is to live our way, you know, to control the influences of our life where we never lose the sting of sin. What happened to Paul? When Paul went into uh, the city of Athens, what does it say? It says that his spirit was, was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. He walked into that city and he saw something and it stung him. It bothered him. It grieved him. Does it grieve and bother you to see some of these things? Does it? I, was, I think I was Brother Tim I was talking to the other day. You know, back maybe in the 90s or so, television shows like Friends, they made extramarital relationships popular. They made fornication popular. They made it romantic. They made it uh, mainstream. They made it exciting. And a generation followed them. And it wasn't just that episode, I mean, that television show. It was multi. You, you, you couldn't find a television show that really wasn't introducing those concepts. Now it's homosexuality. They're just kind of sprinkling it, sprinkling it, sprinkling it, and now it's blown up, and you get desensitized to it. Right. And you've torn the wall down. I want to know when I see danger and sin and the enemy coming, I want to have such a keen sense of what is wrong that I don't allow it to come any further. Amen. That's a wall. Right. But listen, if you're one of those people that says, well, I'm going to be entertained, I don't care what it, what it, what it costs, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. A person that will walk through the filth of this world simply for the sake of being entertained is in a dangerous, dangerous spot. Amen. Now, let me keep going. He also said we're going to build towers. I think about, when I think about a tower, if you, if you read over uh, in Luke, the 19th chapter, this is the first thing I thought of when I thought about those towers. Luke, the 19th chapter, let me read this to you. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans and was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was of little stature. Everybody knows this, right? Zacchaeus was a little, wee little man, wee little man was he. Everybody knows the song. Here's a man who is among the crowd, among the majority, among the people, and he's short he's, and he cannot see Jesus. So what it says, it says, he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. 
and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Now Zacchaeus was not a great, wonderful person. It says, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. Now this does not mean that he all of a sudden switched over from being hell bound to heaven bound. It says, This day is salvation come from what? From all the manner of wickedness that Zacchaeus was doing and the consequences of those things. And he says, For as much as he, is also, he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, what does a tower do? This is something Asa built. What does a tower do? It puts you at a higher elevation so you can see. Why do we lug deer stands miles into the woods and put them on a tree and climb up into a tree so we can see better, right? Yeah. It gives us a better vantage point than, than sitting on the ground in all the brush. You can climb up and see. And you can see, you know, what's going on here and there. We went to Fort Worth a couple, maybe a, three weeks ago. We went to Fort Worth, Texas, to the stockyards in Fort Worth. And they have like a five or 6,000 square foot maze with, you know, walls, you know, pretty, pretty tall, maybe six or eight, you know, probably eight or ten foot tall. And in the middle of that is a tower, a platform that you can climb up. So some of the kids wanted to go into the maze and so uh, we climbed up onto the platform and we're sitting there looking down into the maze and we could tell exactly where they needed to go. But they're running around dead end, dead end, dead end, dead end. And I knew it. We knew it. No, don't go. That's a dead end, dead end. And it was funny to watch them run around through that maze. But being up in the tower, I had a great vantage point because I could see what they could not see. Zacchaeus could not see Jesus. And sometimes we don't see Jesus. Why? Because we are in the midst of the press. That means the crowd. The crowd is everywhere. You know, the Bible tells us this. That, you know, and I've heard this, this uh, wrongly used, incorrectly used, when the Bible says that straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few there be that find it. I've heard people say, see, there's going to be a few people in heaven. Well, that's not true. Because the Bible says that it's a multitude that no man can number. But what it does tell us is that considering the whole, there is a very small percentage that is actually walking and living like the Lord tells us to. And that tells me this, that the majority, the crowd, is going to be way more in number than those that are walking in obedience and faithfulness. Well, sometimes we get lost in that crowd. The crowd of the world, the crowd of social media, the crowd of television, the crowd of money, all types of crowds. And we can't see Jesus. So what do you do? You've got to start elevating yourself. You've got to start climbing up. You've got to build some towers so to give you good vision. Some of that comes with, with experience. I can see things now that I wish I could have seen when I was younger. But I didn't have the wisdom to see those things. But now as I'm older, I look and say, you know what? I made some bad wrong turns at times. How do, you, how do you build a tower? Building a tower is just another way of saying pressing into the kingdom of God. As you press into the kingdom of God and you set your sights on him, you are able to see things much clearer than you would if you're just walking among the crowds. Amen. And that's what Zacchaeus did. The Bible tells us, for the sake of time, I'm going to move on. The Bible tells us also that Asa 
Asa built an army. I'm going to flip back to Second Chronicles for a second. Asa built an army, and if I remember right, it's about half a million. That's what, five times the number that Bryant-Denny Stadium would hold? That's a lot. That's a lot of people. And it says they were valiant men, men of valor. It says that they had a target, spears. I mean, this was, they had shields. They could shoot bows. This is a pretty good army. And he prepared weapons. And I got to thinking about what time, all right, times of peace. We're in times of peace. We got to build some walls. It is not the time to get lazy spiritually. We've got to build some towers. When times of peace are, are present, we've got to press into the kingdom of God. When times of peace are present, we have got to create some weapons. Different types of weapons. I thought about one, and I think this is a great advice to the young people because it was great advice given to me. I think in the 1500s, there was a man named Sir Francis Bacon. And he is credited with, um, with quoting uh, the saying that we're all familiar with, that knowledge is power. Everybody's probably heard that knowledge is power. And there's a whole lot of truth to that. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is a powerful weapon. It's one of hundreds of weapons that the child of God should use. But knowledge is power. The Bible says a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. The prudent man is a wise man, a man full of knowledge, who has built some towers, who has elevated himself and pressed into the kingdom and can see the dangers of Satan. You know, the, and, and I don't know much about this at all, but uh, there was some award show recently where, where they dressed up as devils and all that kind of stuff. Folks, you don't need a tower for that. That's easy to see. And let me tell you what, let me tell you about Satan. Look what I'm doing over here. Everybody get in an uproar about this. All the while I'm doing this. All the while I'm doing this. I read something on uh, Facebook a while back, maybe it was yesterday or so, and I thought it was incredible where it talked about there was a horse tied to a post and the horse was pulling back just a little bit. And so the, uh, 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 the devil goes over there and he unties the horse. And the horse goes over here and eats in a man's garden. And the owner of the garden gets mad and kills the owner of the horse. And the wife of the man that owned the horse goes over here and kills the man that had the garden. And somebody comes to the devil and says, what have you done? And he says, all I did was untie the horse. <laughs> you see how slick he is? Yes. Look, we ought to be in an uproar about the Grammys or whatever that was. I mean, and I've I said this a thousand times before. He did that with abortion. Oh, look at abortion. All the while, I'm greasing the wheels of fornication. Right. See, we totally lost sight of that. Because we're looking at this. See, he's clever like that. Yeah. Knowledge is power. <clears throat> I don't remember where I was going with this. Oh, yeah. I can remember when I was younger. Prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself. When I was younger, one of the great bits of wisdom that my dad gave Josh and I, and in this particular situation, he was talking to us. He didn't go to Proverbs, the seventh chapter now. But he was, he was teaching us Proverbs, the seventh chapter, which is about the strange woman. And he said, you boys are getting old enough, and I'm paraphrasing, you boys are getting old enough now where girls are going to catch your eye and you're going to catch the girl's eyes. And he said, you need to know, that's knowledge, you need to know what you're going to do if the situation arises and the strange woman comes after you. 
Do, he understood the power of the flesh. He said, don't wait till the strange woman is wooing you and calling you to figure out what you're going to do. You figure it out beforehand. Amen. That's great advice. Amen. That's great advice. You know what he was saying? Knowledge is power. Don't wait until you're faced with a situation of betrayal to figure out how you're going to handle betrayal. Don't wait till you're in the situation of anger to figure out how you're going to handle anger. You see, knowledge is power. They talk to, to us, and my mom and dad talked to us about, you know, alcohol, drugs, and all that type of thing. And I can remember we talked about, here, here's how you handle that. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you plan for that. And I can remember one time a kid opened up a case and, and in that case laid out, now I realize it was marijuana. But at the time I thought it was just junky looking cigarettes. And he, he held that out and he said, do you want one of these? And you know, I had planned for that. My parents had taught me how to plan ahead for that. They had given me some knowledge. And it was the easiest thing in the world. But it's like, man, you're crazy. Get out of here. But if I had had no knowledge of it and I hadn't prepared for it, I could have probably been swept away. You remember Joseph? Remember the account of Joseph when Potiphar, as Jerry Clower say it, Potiphar's wife took a craven for Joseph? And she comes to Joseph when everybody else has left the house and it's just her and Joseph and she as the strange woman makes her attack for him. She plant there's an uprising. And I bet Joseph had thought about it. What am I going to do if this happens? And what did he do? He took off. He ran. One of the great weapons that you can have is knowledge. Study God's word because that is where knowledge comes from. And prepare yourself for the situations in life that could be trouble to you. Know what to do before they happen. I wish I could talk to you about martyrs. Martyrs laid hold of the hope of eternal life. And in the face of tremendous adversity and fear, they, the weapon they had was laying hold of the hope of eternal life and they turned their back on the things of the world and they focused on the Lord and they went so far as to give their life for that. Hey, that's a weapon. What does Jesus say? Don't fear those that can kill the body. We are not supposed to fear those that kill the body and the martyrs play that out to perfection. They've got a weapon in knowing that this is not all there is. Let me finish up here. Second Chronicles. In a time of peace, Asa has done all these things. He has an army of over 500,000. But while Asa is building cities, while Asa is fencing cities, putting walls around and building towers, preparing an army and making weapons, all the while, here's where the title comes in, there is a rising of an Ethiopian whose name is Zerah. And that's what the word Zerah, the name Zerah means as a rising. There's an evil, wicked army over here that is rising up, planning attacks against Asa. And listen, it says this, there's a thousand, that, uh, and there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian, with a host of a thousand, thousand, and three hundred chariots. That's 1.3 million against 500,000. You think, man, I've got five times Bryant Denny. I've got all this. We're good. Nothing's going to stop us. But all the while, there's something twice as big as you are brewing. And Zerah the Ethiopian brings his army 
against a man who is living in a time of peace for decades, but was wise enough to prepare. It's like the ant. What does the Bible tell us about the ant? It says you need to consider the ant. It doesn't have a ruler. It has, a, it has no overseer. But in its wisdom, it prepares for winter during the summer. And that's all we're talking about. Preparing for battle when you're in a time of peace. Because Zerah mounts up here. Now notice this. <clears throat> it says, Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, is it nothing? Is it nothing with thee to help? Whether with many or with them that have no power, help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. All right. He is prepared for battle. Don't miss this part. He's prepared for battle during a time of peace. And when the uprising of Zerah comes, what's the first thing he does? He prays. He does not go to the chariots. He does not go to the men of war. He does not go to the fence. He puts his trust in the Lord. Amen. Don't miss that part. Out of all this, five times the number of people that can fit in Bryant-Denny Stadium as an army. That, that would be easy to trust in. But the first thing he does is he says, help us, Lord. There is, it, with, with thee, it is nothing for you to help us. 1.3 million people, Lord, it's nothing. What did, and one angel kill 185,000 in one night. It's nothing with the Lord to destroy this army. Here's my point. There's a great wisdom in recognizing you're in a time of peace. There's an even greater wisdom, whether it is your home, your church, your marriage, whatever, to understand that somewhere there is an uprising of evil. And you will be the target. We may be the target. Your marriage may be the target. Your relationships may be the target. Whatever it is. Satan will not leave us alone. And there will be an uprising at some point. And if you don't prepare for that now, you'll be an easy target. Right. Well, we can take a lesson from Asa here and say, you know what? Things are good. We are in a time of peace. But I'm going to build some walls. I'm going to build some towers. I'm going to press into the kingdom where I can see Jesus clearer. And I have, can have an acute sense of sin and danger and darkness so when the times of danger, I mean, when the times of persecution and uh, uh, rise up against me, I'll be prepared. I think a lot of God's people have been swept away over the years because they just got in a time of peace and they just frolicked through it and they never gave a second thought to something might be rising up against them in the future. So let's take a lesson from Mason. I hope that's been profitable to you.